Geekish Cast is a member of the Astro Panda Productions Network. Welcome back to Geekish Cast. I'm your host, Jeremy, and joining me today is Greg Wright. How are you doing, Greg? I am wonderful and grateful to be here, excited, ready to talk to you. Yay. Fantastic. I'm, I'm actually really excited that you could be here. Um, just to give people a quick background on you, you are a Ph.D. in... Uh, American literature and film, so uh, contemporary lit pop culture adaptation, that sort of thing. Fantastic. So you're like an expert on pop culture, then? Uh, you know, I like to, I like to think that <laughs> as much as but, possible. Anyhow. Yeah, yeah. Wow. All, all it takes, all it takes, is just the right question to derail me, and I'll be like, "That's not really my area." Yeah. You know? <laughs> how How are you on uh, old TV shows? Not as good as old movies, oh, but, okay. but I could give it a whirl. <laughs> do you Do you know who played Mrs. Howell on Gilligan's Island? Oh, not off the top. Of my yeah, head, it's no. Natalie something, but I can never never remember what it was. But um. You are also in. You currently are teaching English and writing. Yes. Yes, correct. Yep. And most recently, you have written, or at least the most recent one I know about, is the graphic novel based on the TV series Holliston. Yes, uh, I'm really excited about this. Uh, yeah. yeah, the season one and two have come out of Holliston, and season three comes out next year. Mm-hmm. And this is not exactly like a bridge; it's a separate standalone thing. So even if you didn't know the show, you could still enjoy the book. Right. Um, well, in the book, let me, let's get this out there real quick. It's called Holliston, Friendship is Tragic. Just so if anybody wants to go look for it, they have the title of it. Um, and for those who haven't seen it, Holliston was a was and will be a TV series uh, created by a horror, horror film creator. Yeah. I, yep, correct so far. So, so far, so good. Yep, yeah, yep. yeah. So were you a fan of Holliston? I mean, how did this come about? Yes. Oh, uh, this is something that came about through um, the actions of uh, the editor-in-chief at SourcePoint Press. His name is Travis McIntyre, and he approached Adam Green about maybe getting some of his uh, properties developed into comics because SourcePoint Press publishes a lot of horror, sci-fi, pulp. Um, they publish prose. They also publish um, uh, primarily comics, so they do a lot of comics. I've written some comics for them. Um, and, you know, he said, you know, I think that your your sense of humor would be a good fit. And I'm like, yes, I would love to do this. This was a really exciting opportunity for me. And uh, I feel like my personality type and sense of humor is close enough to Adam Green as both his character and the, the real creator himself, because he plays the character of Adam Green. Uh, I'm like, yeah, I can do this. Although it was pretty intimidating writing a character called Adam Green which is written and directed and performed by Adam Green, uh, and not worry too much about stepping on his toes or, you know, going taking the character like and trashing it or just making a misstep. It was a it was a pretty intimidating thing, but once I got into it, it was it was a lot of fun to write. Well, I mean, just I mean, Adam comes off he, he's kind of funny because I only know him through his work, but at times he can seem super serious, but he also seems to like clown on himself a lot. So I imagine he'd be pretty forgiving in that situation. Did you find that to be pretty true? Oh yes, yeah. Uh, he, I was I was fully prepared. I'm like each step of the way. I'm like this could be he could say no at any time and just say you know what I don't even want to do this. Uh, and I was trying to psych myself up for, you know, I'm a very pessimistic person, so I was ready to, to not see any kind of silver lining in the whole process. 
And um, he had such great things to say and was very complimentary. And uh, he writes this in the, in the introduction to the book, too, uh, about how excited he was by this. And he, he, he was ready to trash it, too. He admits it. He's like, I had my notebook out. I was ready to say about all the things that were wrong. But he just eventually put his notebook down and just started reading it for fun and, and enjoying it. And I'm like, that's high praise indeed. Um, and it was, it was really exciting because he did eventually have some notes and it was all just stuff like, Hey, here's an extra joke for you. I'm like, that's great. Let's do it. Uh, and nothing that was like, you know what? We got to scrap the second half or something like that. Uh, it was all very gracious, wonderful, professional, polished stuff that, uh, made me happy to be alive. (laughs) No, that's outstanding. And so, um, in preparing for this, obviously I bought the comic and read it. Uh, it you. seems to me, oh yeah, absolutely, and and I'm I'm encouraging other people to do the same, and I'll definitely beat that up a few points in here and on the the blog post that goes with this episode. But um, you did seem to get the feel of the show. I mean, you got to do some things that they can't do in the show because of its budget. Like you could actually take them to places that you know they didn't need to build. So that was kind of cool. Uh, yeah. Did you like getting to play with things on a larger scale that would normally be allowable in Holliston? Oh yeah, it was it was fun to be able to break the rules about what you can even do in a sitcom to say like, look, let's have giant monsters and UFOs and I mean, because it doesn't it literally has no impact on the budget at all to say, uh, you know, Steve Shar and Josh Werner were the artists on this. Steve did the pencils and inks, and Josh did the colors and letters, and you know they just went to town and just went nuts with it. And I'm like, you know, it makes no difference on the page whether they've got dinosaurs on there and zombies or, uh, you know, they can even destroy the parts of the town of Holliston itself. I'm like, that was so much fun to be able to, to break the rules and to, uh, you know, bust it out of uh, the limitations that you might have in a sitcom where you have to have things be found on a set and have a budget for them and everything. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, as a fan of the show, I'm sure, you know, the one time they did something with UFOs or monsters, they actually went and animated with it as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, yeah, occasionally they did break with form also in the, uh, like the, the found footage episode and things yes, like that. Which I um, think is, what was the Holliston Hobgoblin, I think is one of the greatest pieces of satire of a film style I've ever seen. Oh yeah, it's, it's so much fun because, uh, you know, it, it, it breaks them out of what you're used to seeing them do and, uh, also it's like, it, they revisited all of the tropes and it's, it's just, it's, it's funny and a lot of fun and, also kind of got you to see, uh, you know, a little bit of Halston itself in a different way. I'm like, that was that was such a cool, fun episode. Yeah, that's one, if I were to show somebody one for the first time, that would be the one I'd go to. I mean, yeah. Well, it's, see, but mm-hmm. it's like the exception, too. So it's, uh, you know, I, yeah. I, I'm a big fan. I, don't, I wouldn't know where I would point people. I, yeah. I love the recurring uh, running gags and the motifs and things like that. Uh, also, I'm a, a really big fan of the uh, suicidal Kane Hodder art. Oh, that is so good, too. <laughs> that really is. Or, or Tony Todd just um, crashing on their couch and not leaving. Just this unwelcome guest who just hangs between, out there. like between, can't Yeah, between me and my wife, there's actually still a gag about not saying Candyman because I don't want a freeloader in the house. Right. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it's so much fun. And I, and I love, too, that there's all these little... Easter eggs in the show, and then we could put little Easter eggs in the in the comic as well. Of you know, here's just like little pop culture and movie and sci-fi and horror references for people uh, that when they catch them, they're just like, oh, I get what you're doing with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's just it's a lot of fun to be able to kind of 
weave in all the stuff that you think is cool and then find out other people really respond to that and it resonates with them and they're like, yeah, this is cool. I dig it too. Yeah. And I think that's kind of a big thing in fandom now is we will sit and pour over something looking for Easter eggs all day given the opportunity. Yeah, well, I, I think that's that's fun. It's like a it's like a Where's Waldo of uh, secret messages and codes and things like that. Exactly. Like, wait a minute, what's this code? Okay, yeah. I got it. Yeah. Like, have you been watching Westworld at all? I have not. I don't have HBO. Okay. So there was a there was an episode where a guy walks by a window and on the other side of it was a what probably was a robot or a mannequin, but it was wearing something very similar to the Yule Brenner outfit from the movie. Okay. So you okay. just kind of go like, oh, I see. So a little head nod there. Okay, I got what you're doing. Yeah, that. Yeah. yeah that I, I, I love that kind of thing. And, I mean, you know, the the one that I think of as being, like, the, the biggest kind of payoff like that is when uh, um, uh, in in Predator 2 where they go onto the ship and you see the Xenomorph skull from the Aliens franchise. And it's like, this is just like a little Easter egg thing. And then it spawned all of these comics and two movies and, mm-hmm. well, who knows, maybe more than two movies, who knows. Uh, and it's just like, here's just like a little throwaway gag that everybody just like obsessed over until it actually became real. Oh, yeah, or in Freddy vs. Jason having yep. the yep. Necronomicon Ex Mortis in there, yeah. Or or even before Freddy vs. Jason, when uh, Jason goes to hell and then like the uh, Freddy's glove, uh, you know, his glove with the knives on it comes out of the ground and pulls the hat, the hockey mask under and everybody's like oh my gosh freddy versus jason and that kind of made freddy versus jason as well well that's that was the plan for the next movie they just didn't get to it for 25 years or something <laughs> <laughs> um so were you in in your background i mean obviously you're a genre guy are you more a horror guy sci-fi what's what's your thing I and mean, what are you really into Oh, I'm all over the map, and I'll I'll say different stuff. I mean, I love you know even going back to classics like the Marx Brothers, or uh, you know you mentioned the Three Stooges before. I'm I'm a fan of lots and lots of stuff. Um, you know, if if I were to say one sort of genre within horror that's probably my favorite, I mean, you know, I like I like slashers, I like zombie movies, I like sci-fi stuff, alien invasions. But my my heart really has always belonged to like the Universal Studios classic monsters. Uh, and, you know, you're talking about the Wolfman, Frankenstein's monster, the mummy, the invisible man, all of those things. Um, and I riff on those in my earlier uh, comic book series, which is called Monstrous, also from Source Point Press. Oh, okay. Can I, can I make a little plug for that? Too? Oh, please do. Actually, any... Um, here's the thing, Greg. I usually try to go through and check up on my guests, like everything I can get a hold of their stuff, even if they're Canadian and I have to break uh, um, laws to get their stuff over here for me to look at. You and I have met at a point where I had a lot of behind-the-scenes difficulties um, and personal stuff happening and professional stuff happening and just haven't had the time to really dig into your back catalog. And I apologize for that because otherwise I really would have torn into it because I like to be able to do that. So if you have a past project or if you want to talk about all of them, please just lay it on us. Uh, more than I happy will. to hear about I it. I will. And, 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 you know, may God have mercy on us all, right? Mm-hmm. I'm, uh, so, uh, yeah, I have uh, four issues of a series with Source Point Press called Monstrous that is set in Frankenstein's Europe. And it's basically like the Wild West, except instead of cowboys and Indians, it's monsters versus robots. Okay. And, uh, the good guys are not all that good. The bad guys are not all that bad. Everybody's a little bit monstrous. Okay. Um, the first four issues are all standalone stories, so people can buy them and read them in any order. 
Um, and they've recently been collected into a trade paperback of those first four issues. And my artist is Ken Lamoog. Uh, he's from Las Vegas, and um, he's working on the next four, which are going to tie all those things together in a single four-issue arc. Um, and it's it's a lot of fun. You've got you know renegade robots. You've got uh, monsters getting summoned from all over the place. Uh, it's a lot of humor. It's a lot of action, and it's also, in addition to riffing on the, you know, the classic uh, monsters, it's also riffing on, uh, like, like westerns. It's sort of like, like I said, it's like the New Wild West. Uh, so the plots are all kind of riffing on old John Wayne movies, you know, like True Grit and Real Oh, Robert, sure, yeah. Like, uh, which sounds like a heady, weird, unusual mix, but people really respond to this, and uh, it's really exciting stuff. Now, I love crossover stuff like that. I always find it really interesting. Uh, met some yeah, some people like the steampunk side of it. Some people are like, oh, I love that, you know, Igor is doing tech support on brains and jars. Uh, mm-hmm. There's all kinds of different things that pay off for people. Yeah, uh, I love that kind of stuff. Because, I mean, it really gives you a chance to stretch your stretch your muscles creatively when you can just go like, this is a completely original universe from this point forward. I can do yeah, pretty yeah, much anything. Um, is it's, kind of, it's kind of like Sin City in that the, the main character is really the setting of this uh, weird and wild world because if you think about it um, you know Dr. Frankenstein makes a monster and then like that would change the whole entire world mm-hmm. and what if all these other monsters were sort of an offshoot from that starting point um, and and also it's just an excuse to to have crazy weird things happening <laughs> like um, you know fighting a voodoo priestess with an army of zombies why not just have that going on in the Bavarian uh, Alps and stuff like that sounds so. totally sensible to me I mean, if you can do it, why would you not? Do exactly. It? Yeah, that's uh, one of the things that always troubled me about Star Trek: The Next Generation. If you have data and can figure out how to build more data, why why would human beings need to do anything dangerous ever again? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, that's always sort of bothered me too. Where it's like, you know, um, I know that they they try to cover this, but like in in Aladdin, why not just wish for more wishes or <laughs> you know things like that where. Uh, you know, how, and well, that's the other thing is that, oh, oh, I'm sorry, I missed that part, but, uh, after Frankenstein makes his, his monster, he loses control, so he builds these steampunk robots, steam powered robots to try to control things, so they're on the side of law and order, and the monsters are on the side of sort of refugees and criminal underclass, and, and they clash, uh, and you run into some of those issues of like, well, we'll just have robots be our police force, except that then that makes its own set of problems and, uh, weird hiccups and, like I said, you know, uh, the blurring of the lines between what good is and what evil is, and you wind up kind of empathizing with different sides of this uh, clash all over Europe. Oh, yeah. I mean, what could possibly go wrong with robotic law enforcement? Yeah, right? <laughs> um, I, also, the, the funny thing I found in my research for this is that predating Mary Shelley's novel about Frankenstein, there was a French, uh, a French novel where... There was a, a different Dr. Frankenstein, and he was actually building automatons. He was building robots, and that she sort of stole that name and stole the basic idea, but had it be a, a monster made out of uh, cobbled together with corpses and things like that. A flesh golem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just so glad you said flesh golem. That made my day. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's the appropriate. It's the only description I ever heard that really worked. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Although it, 
<laughs> it evokes all kinds of weird urban dictionary things in my brain at the same time. Well, I, I would think there's a penis joke or two in there somewhere. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I feel like that, you know, and this is all, uh, pun intended, right? There's, mm-hmm. there's probably a penis joke in, in, in every one of us. <laughs> well, when you put it like that, I guess there really is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good times, good times. Um, so, you know, how does somebody with an academic background like yours get into writing comic books? Oh, that's that's a good question, Jeremy. And and I don't know. I was dropped on my head as a child. Uh, that, so. that covers it. <laughs> no, I uh, I come from a background where uh, I taught at, I, I taught at Kalamazoo College for a number of years, and I taught screenwriting there. And you know, so I, I have a screenwriting background and. The problem with screenwriting is that it's relentlessly hard to get anything accomplished. So I'm like, I have this skill set that I'm excited about, and I have ideas that I think would work. Uh, why don't I try doing this in the comics medium? And it's, a, you know, it's still hard work, and it's still a lot of time and a lot of effort, and it, you have to collaborate and all of those things. But um, you can get a much more immediate sense of payoff than you could with a movie, which, you know. A lot of screenwriters, you'd have never even seen their work because they never, you know, it never gets off the ground, even successful ones. Mm-hmm. People who are doing this for a living, you rarely see the fruits of their labor, and so do they. And I really like that I can write a comic book script and work with somebody and be able to have a, a product that you can hold at the end of, in your hands at the end of the day. That doesn't mean that every project works. There's certainly a number of things that have fallen through, but I love to be able to say, like, look, I've done this, it can't be undone afterwards or, you know, uh, lose momentum or lose steam or something like that. Right. Well, you know, it's, it's funny to me. You are the second academic I've met this year who has written a comic book or comic books. Um, it's actually the guy who put me in touch with SourcePoint to talk to you, Andrea Molinari, who created a, uh, a, a series with his son. He teaches early Christian history. Yes, so, yes, yeah. yes. No, 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 yeah. Yeah, and so I'm just always amazed by the people I meet who are doing these comic books now. Like, I know um, another guy. First off, let me just say, this is the greatest concept for a comic book I've ever stumbled across. It is Bigfoot on Mars as, like, a John Carter-style character. It's called okay, it's yeah. called Bigfoot, Sword of the Earth, man. What it is, the guy works in financial services in Los Angeles, had an idea for a movie, then he thought, no, this would make a better comic book. So he went and took all the local classes on writing a comic book and then put his money into it and got it made. Nice. So nice. it's just, it's one of those things that when I meet some people and just the different walks of life that comic book creators I am meeting now are coming from, I am inspired and amazed by almost each and every one of you guys. Oh yeah, there there really is something that's that's very uh you know I mean I I, I don't want to sound jingoistic about it but it's, there's something that's very American about it. It's like you got this idea and you take it and you make it your own and you put it out in the marketplace of ideas and people respond to it or they don't but they can appreciate that it's like hey this is your own thing mm-hmm. uh, and it, it's not quite like anything else. Um, also, I always like to hear about other comics creators and and what their backgrounds are so that maybe one day when we meet we can fight. <laughs> oh yeah, that's a fantastic idea. Some kind of comic book writers fight club that we yeah, of like, course can't talk about if it actually exists. Yeah, yeah. And and you know, it's like swap, bam, pow, and then they're spilling blood all over the place and That'd be a yeah. fantastic idea. Have like Frank Miller versus anybody, because I'm still mad at him for the last couple things he did. 
Right. Actually, actually, I mean, yeah, I should watch my mouth because I, I bet if I ever did make Frank, meet Frank Miller, I mean, I would just be like, "Hello," and he'd start punching me. I have yeah. to you know, one of the one of the nerdiest things I've ever done was Jim Shooter was at RenoCon a few years ago when I was there, and um, I walked by and I see him out of the corner of my eye and I say to my wife, "Oh my God, it's Jim Shooter," and she goes, "Who?" Because of course, what you know, what's a girl gonna right. think, right? So I go, <laughs> yeah, I go, I stand in line for a few minutes. Maybe. Yeah, exactly. I stayed in line for a few minutes. My wife texts me that she's done wherever she was. So I just, I kind of butt in. Mr. Shooter, I, I have to get going, but I want to thank you for the 1980s. And I shook his hand and I started to walk off. He goes, what's your name? I go, it's really not important. I just kept going. I just <laughs> fanboyed so hard. I was like, ah. Oh, just... I'm the man with no name. Yep. It just doesn't matter at this point. Right, I've, uh, I've I've said what I wanted to say. Consider me the uh, the unknown fanboy, the exactly. tomb of the unknown fan. I don't need to draw more attention to myself, sir. <laughs> hey, so what um, was the first work you did? The the first comic you actually got published? Tell me a little bit about that. Well, I had a I had a short in the Michigan Comics Collective's anthology. I have a short in their first and second anthologies, just like little short stories. Um, but the one the, they also published the um, first sort of like it's a standalone first one shot that I did. And actually I've got the second one coming out from them, uh, next year. And, uh, that's called wild bullets. Okay. And I'm tremendously proud of this. And it came out last year and it still sells very well. I was just at a comic con this past weekend and it sold just as strong as anything else at the table. Uh, because it's, it's a, it's an idea that clicks with people. They really like it. They get it. Um, the basic setup for it is that, the Bullet family of the title, um, they're all different kinds of dysfunctional pulp adventurers. So the four siblings grew up to become a detective, a mad scientist, a monster hunter, and an archaeologist. And they all don't get along with each other, don't talk to each other, but they're coming to their parents' house for Thanksgiving. And, of course, there's a murder, as happens at Thanksgiving dinners. And, uh, you know, <laughs> happy holidays, everybody, right? And... Um, they have to solve it. They have to find a way to figure out who's behind it, who's out to get them, and find a way to work with each other. And the cool thing is they each take turns telling the story, and when they do, a different artist takes over in a different style and genre. So you've got crime, sci-fi, horror, and adventure all in this pulp mashup murder mystery weird vibe of uh, trying to solve what's going on behind them. Okay. Uh, and that, that sounds amazing. How do I get a copy of that? Oh, that, that one, uh, you can pick that up because the, the Michigan Comics Collective is basically like an offshoot of the, of SourcePoint Press. You can get that at their site. Uh, it's available. All of these comics that I've been talking about are available digitally through Comixology and Drive-Thru Comics. Okay. Um, but you can also order them through SourcePointPress.com and we'll ship them to, we'll ship physical copies to anybody's door, um, uh, you know, around, around the, around the country and I guess internationally if you, they tack on international like yeah. these or, or whatever. If I'm not they pay for that. it, yeah. Yeah, if they pay for it, right? Um, and the the cool thing is next year, uh, all of the pencils and inks are done for a follow-up to this, which is telling a, a, a Christmas story with the same family. Eventually, we're going to co- collect it and call it Homicide for the Holidays. Uh, and I I love this. And the people people look at it, they get it, they're like, okay, yeah, this is, you know, it makes sense to them. And you don't have to love pulp or any of those particular genres to to enjoy the interplay between these weird characters. Uh, but yeah, two brothers and two sisters, and uh, the parents are also uh, sort of embody pulp genres. The 
The dad is a military man telling like war stories, and the mom is a masked cowgirl for some reason. <laughs> See, this is all amazing stuff because I love like the idea that you get like a, a Doc Savage, the Lone Ranger, Flash yeah. Gordon, you know, all these types of characters, all from the same family. It kind of sounds like, oh, what was that called? Uh, uh, the the Wold Newton family. Yeah, it's yeah. like the Wold Newton fam. Yes, that's it exactly. I have always loved that idea. Yeah, I, I think that like Monstrous, uh, the, the fun of it is that you got this this shared universe where you can just get all the toys out of the toy box and play. <laughs> you know, oh yeah, uh, it doesn't need to be all all segregated and everything like that. And that was also the fun with Holliston too, where it's just like, hey, here's these really cool, really well defined characters uh, that kind of riff on all of these other horror movies and sci fi stuff, John Carpenter and everything, and uh, let's just take them and free them from any of the restrictions that you might normally have with, like you mentioned, budget stuff. Uh, so it can be this weird and wild and, and visual ride. Yeah, I just, yeah. How, how did you find Holliston originally? Do you remember? Um, no, you know, I feel like, I feel like it was always sort of, uh, actually, uh, Steve, the artist on the, mm -hmm. on Holliston, he has been a super fan for a long time and he kind of got me into it, uh, with talking about it and, um, and he it also, um, ooh, uh, Gary Sobeck and Josh Sobeck, uh, the guys who originally, they came, they came up with the idea that got pitched to, uh, to Adam Green and they're super fans as well. And it's, it's, it's the same kind of thing where it's like, here's, you know, your buddy that you, you just kind of chat with and you talk about, you know, oh, you, I, these horror movies, that sci-fi, uh, you know, that kind of thing. And it's sort of like, oh, you know, and here's like this, this public secret. And then once once you're on the wavelength with with Adam Green, you're just like, all right, just sign me up, just you know, whatever he got, whatever he's got next, you know, I'm there, yep. I'm on board. Right? Is, he is kind of a cultish. Him, he and Joe are both kind of cultish in there. Like once you're hooked, you're hooked. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. And, and I'm just down for what do you guys got going on? And and who who also like who do you know and what are they doing? You know, because yep. it's kind of like this very um, interconnected sort of web of like just just friends hanging out and doing the cool stuff that they think is cool. Yep. Um, no, that's, you know, that's what I really like. They get, really have like a kind of like, hey, we're going to get this done attitude. This shit's yeah. getting made. You know, that's that's yeah. kind of the way they do it. Yeah. And, yeah. and and then just, you know, like, oh, like here's here's Zach Galligan or here's Sid Haig and here's Bill Mosley as Crazy Max and stuff yeah. like that. Where It's like, oh, wow. You know, I mean, I don't know how I don't know how many episodes I got in before I realized that Bill Mosley was playing Crazy Max. I'm just like, oh, it's. Just a, a funny guy, you know, advertising stuff, and I'm like, oh, wait a minute, no, he's from Devil's Rejects and Chainsaw Massacre 2, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, and it's like, oh, okay, uh, or just you know, other things where it's like, oh my gosh, look, there's Brian Posehn as the the clerk at the at the Market Basket, <laughs> uh, and I, I'm sorry, know, I, I think you mean Market Basket, Market Market Basket, yeah. <laughs> Market Basket, Market Basket, <laughs> Market Loud. Oh, I, I can still do that, and it just cracks me up every time. Yeah, yeah, it brings a smile to my face. Yeah. Right? Well, you know what happened to, to me? It, like, I never clicked that David Naughton was the fake werewolf in the American Werewolf in London episode until I met David Naughton. And then I oh, went, okay, oh, yeah. shit. <laughs> and I'm like, all like, oh, now I feel really dumb. And then I didn't realize until then that he was the Dr. Pepper guy either. I don't know. What do you mean a Dr. Pepper guy? He did a musical Dr. Pepper commercial in the early 80s. And if you oh see it, if you see it, you'll go, oh, wait, I, I, I remember this commercial. 
Oh, I, be- I bet. But it's yeah. one of those things that's like, or or even like Derek Mears being being the cop, and it's like, yes. oh yeah, he's Jason Voorhees. I'm like, oh no, he was just like this hilarious cop. Like I didn't put that together at all. Um, and I was even at a horror convention one time where Kane Hodder was there, and you know, I, I mean, I know who he is, but it's just like when you see him in person, it was just like, oh, here's just this big jockey, beef, you know, beefed up looking dude. And like I saw him in the hallway, and I like I was just you know shooting the shit with him and everything, and, mm-hmm. and it's just like whoops, oh, oh yeah. yeah, yeah, you're 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 famous, and I and I you know I'm a big fan of your work, and I didn't even put that together. Uh, where he was, you know, we're just like making little jokes and stuff in the hallway. Yeah. Well, that's still, you know, I've only been doing this for a little while now, and I've only had X number of actual, like what you would call celebrity celebrities on. But one time I interviewed somebody live, and then they were sitting at the table with me, kind of like trying to duck just being mobbed by other people. And then I'm looking at her, and I'm just like, holy shit, I've seen you on TV like 500 times, and I can't believe you're sitting here. And then I kind of like got my head back together. I'm like, you're just a human being, let it go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's always that's always so funny. Whenever whenever I meet somebody who has any kind of clout or or whatever, um, and sometimes sometimes I get weirdly starstruck. Other times I'm just like, hey, I'm just talking to just this regular person. Hooray! Yeah. Like uh, like I met Morgan Spurlock, the guy who did uh, Super. Oh, I know, yeah, I know who he is. Yeah, and uh, you know, I met him in Ypsilanti, Michigan. And he was giving a talk, and me and some friends like hung out afterwards, and we just drank beer and ate fried pickles because he'd never had them before. I'm like, I'm eating fried pickles with the super size me guy. Exactly. Very calm and cool. Amazing. Yeah, it was so cool. And then there's been other times, like I met Kevin Spacey one time, and I and I just got I just froze. I was like, there's nothing I could say that would interest Kevin Spacey, so I'm not even. Cry. He's the, like, hi, and I'm like, mm. yeah. The two I really just stepped on myself with Aaron Gray when I first when I met Aaron Gray was just the first time I took my kids to a convention and she was at a table. And when I was a kid, I had the biggest crush on her from Buck Rogers. <laughs> and I walk up to her table and I couldn't spit two flipping words out of my mouth. And my wife's <laughs> like, he wants your autograph. Here's twenty bucks. <laughs> and that was like how <laughs> that went. So I was emasculated and made to look a fool at the same moment. Well, that, that's why that, that's what makes it a good story. <laughs> exactly, that's what makes it fun in the first place. If there had been a laundry malfunction, it would have been the perfect trifecta. <laughs> exactly, or poop somehow being involved might have helped. I don't know for sure. I guess that was maybe what when, when I say laundry malfunction, I, that's the only type I know. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> See, I can think of other ones, but you know, <laughs> blood stuff like that. But, you right, know. right, right. Anyhow. <laughs> Having had a dog with severe stomach troubles, I do laundry a lot. Oh, man. Uh, Poor puppy. <laughs> chicken allergies. He's 15. He's had chicken allergies since he was six months old. And it's just, it just fires out of him like a rocket from both ends. <laughs> oh, my, yeah. my in-laws had a sick dog. And in order to, they, they actually had to give it chicken. So the, the dog got chicken and potatoes, like boiled chicken and potatoes every day for every yeah. meal. I'm like, this dog eats better than I do. Oh, yeah. No, and see, my wife cooked for this dog for years up until, like, high-end dog food started coming down in price to be reasonable. I mean, they're still, you know, eight bucks a day or some ungodly amount. But, I mean, this dog right now, if you do the dog years on, he's like 114. Oh, my gosh. We've had three We've had three other dogs that were born after him who died of old age. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> this is a legacy dog, right? Exactly. You know, it's, here's here's the really weird one. I I know we're really off topic now, but his mom is still alive. 
Oh my gosh, seriously? Yes, my my dad owns her. She's blind and deaf and only has one tooth left, but she's 17 or 18 years old and still kicking. I, I think at that point it's just like you know the dog is just like I don't I don't know how to die. I'm just sorry. out of just out of spite alone they stay alive. Right, right, like, like right. that really old angry woman in a wheelchair at Danny's. <laughs> yeah, I, the Mayan prophecy was about me. <laughs> exactly. Um, so what are you working on these days? Anything in particular you want to tell us about? Well, I, I actually we're in talks about maybe making a follow up Holliston uh, graphic novel, maybe another one. Oh, awesome! Uh, that's a possibility. And, uh, you know, but again, I always, I'm always like, do that with a grain of salt because it's mm-hmm. like, nothing is a thing until it's a thing. And I've got, uh, Wild Bullets, the follow up coming up with that. I got more Monstrous on the way. And also I have another project that I'm working on with Eric Reichenbach. Um, he is, oh, I didn't even, I'm sorry, I didn't even do a shout out with Wild Bullets. Wild Bullets, um, my collaborators on that are, uh, Sarah Souls, who did the colors and letters. And my pencils and inkers for that are Sean Seal, Steve Shar. I worked with him on that again, and Jason Jimenez and Joe Frere. I, I didn't want to leave them out. <laughs> but um, with uh, this this next project that I've got with Eric Reichenbach, I don't know if that name rings a bell. He's been on Survivor a couple times. He's been a contestant on Survivor. And I, I'm not saying that just to like name drop, but it has to do with the project because uh, the comic is called Last Monster Standing, and um, in it, giant monsters invade Tokyo, and then they get their own reality show. Okay, that also is an amazing idea. You, sir, are an inspired genius. <laughs> thank you, thank you. You're too kind. You're too kind. I'm not saying stop, but you're too kind. Oh, no, I follow you completely. <laughs> um, so, yeah, actually, uh, all of your books that you have described, I, I am totally interested in. Now, I, I'm glad we've got a chance to talk about them, because... Awesome. Now, now I get to add them to my reading list that I'm having a harder and harder time getting through. Oh, I know how that goes. Yeah. I know how that goes. Well, you know, it's kind of exciting, and we'll we'll see how things change coming up here, but the economy was starting to click along again, and people had some spending money, and comics had their best year last year, the best they'd had since 1997. Which so, also is one of those things that makes me lose sleep, because <laughs> then it's like, well... When when does the bubble burst and, uh-huh. and <laughs> all of that kind of thing? But uh, yeah, it's it, I love I love going to these comic cons and getting to meet people and I try to be friendly and meet and, and you know it's it's really exciting to that there are so many people who you know you explain to them hey this is what I'm doing and they're like wow this is this is on my wavelength you know it's different oh, from yeah. other stuff but it's enough like it that it's like yeah you're talking about my favorite things you know like giant. Japanese monster movies or, um, you know, pulp stuff or whatever. There's this kind of niche that, uh, you know, you, you can't quite get anywhere else. Like, there's not a whole, like, pulp TV show or, or a, a movie that's doing these kinds of weird off-the-wall things. No, there's it's, I'm actually really encouraged because I've met some kids around here. And uh, kids, you know, 35-year-olds probably, but, you know. After, snappers, they're yeah. getting on lawn. <laughs> exactly. Under under 40, everybody's a kid now, you know. I'm just, damn kids. Um, but, you know, I'll meet these guys, and they'll turn out a 30-page book in full color. Um, it's expensive, but they don't have to buy a, an inventory up front. They just, you know, they go, hey, I'm getting ready to do a show. I'll buy 30 of them. Or if you want to buy them online, they're eight bucks, thirty pages. But you know, it's their book; it's out. They you can get it. Ten years ago, that wasn't even a possibility. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like people ask me, you know, like how how do I make a comic? I'm like, you just make it. Like you just do it, and 
then it's a thing. And, yeah. you know, that doesn't mean it's going to be wildly successful, but, you know, make a thing and keep doing it. Yeah, that's just it. And there's a there's a video that's been making the rounds that I, I try to repost every other week or so, but it's it's just finish it. And it's no matter how shitty it is, look, no matter what, in a year you're going to look at everything you do and you're not going to like it because it was only as good as you were a year ago. So, right. the, so the job is don't shoot for perfect, shoot for finished, and then move on to the next one. And I think that's that's very much uh, the case because uh, I'm I've I've known people where you know they they tinker with it and they obsess over it and it you know and and I I get that instinct I do but oh absolutely anything, anything that's worth doing is worth doing faster if you can yep um you know like I said going to a comic con it's cool to have more stuff at the table it's cool to you know hey I mean I love wild books and I love talking to people about it but if I pitch it and somebody's like eh no that's not really my thing I'm like well, take a look at this other thing, and maybe yep. that is. You know, I got other stuff. You never know what's going to click with somebody, and that's why I love uh, talking about Holliston because, like you said, there's a built-in fan base. People who are Holliston people are like, "I'm on it. I'm there. I'm done. You got mm-hmm. me." Uh, but then people who haven't, it's like, here's a cool way to get somebody involved in a new kind of fandom that probably, if you're already a fan of anything like horror or horror comedy, you know, like if you love. Um, Things like Shaun of the Dead or Zombieland and stuff like that. It's like, you know, uh, Dale and Tucker versus Evil. I mean, if you like those kinds of things, this is on your wavelength. And you don't know that you love it. You just have to discover this. And you're like, oh, man, this is this is like made for me and my friends. This is the kind of stuff. This is how we talk with each other. Yep. Uh, what it was for me was I watch a lot of weird shit, but I run out of it real quickly. And one weekend I had the flu. And I'm going through Netflix just looking for something, anything to watch. And there's a little show called Todd and the Book of Pure Evil. And I burnt through the show, you know, in that sick weekend. I went through every episode of it. So I went on uh, Amazon the next day or the next Monday, and I bought both both uh, discs. And it says at the bottom, if you like this, you'll also like Holliston. All mm-hmm. right. So I bought I bought both seasons of that as well, you know. And then the funny thing, of course, was that when they arrived, I realized they were on Hulu anyways. <laughs> but, I don't uh, think that they are anymore. I don't oh, they, they made yeah, neither one are available on streaming. Neither Todd nor uh, Halston are right now. Um, but yeah, it was it was kind of nice to find something like that. These little these little well, um, who is it that's picked up uh, Halston Geek Nation? Yes, Geek okay. Nation. Yeah. Okay, this thing couldn't even have existed as far back as two thousand six just technically could not have happened. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now it can. And this little gem, this little thing that nobody probably thought anybody would watch, there's the ability to put it back on the air. And that to yeah. me is just fantastic that we live in a day and age like that. Yeah, I, and, and I think it's it's great to be able to, like you're saying, get these sort of these niche projects that could never have existed before. And like, here's this, this, this new and, and exciting and fun kind of, cool way that stuff can get out there, right? Um, and, and and I love that. I mean, you know, like you talk, you talk about a TV show, it's like, unless I'm deadly sick, how do I catch up with anything? Because there's mm-hmm. so much really, really, really great stuff out there with books and movies and TV shows, and they just keep making more of them. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's that's one of the problems. I'm, you know, like I said, I'm literally having trouble keeping up with the things I want to keep up with. Um and what's kind of cool is I'm getting a little bit of traction on Twitter now, so filmmakers follow me and then tell me about their stuff or send me screeners. 
Well, I, I got, unfortunately, a little drawer full. I don't want it to sound like I'm complaining. I'm not. I mean, if you're out there and you're thinking about sending me your screener, I will get to it. And if it looks great, I'll get to it sooner. But I do fall behind. <laughs> it sucks because oh, yeah. I'm always like, I really want to see all of these. And I know that it's it's not going to happen. They can't all happen right now. Yeah, yeah. I uh, and, and I'm even like that for, for mainstream stuff, too. Uh, I've found that for some reason, like, I don't watch The Walking Dead when I'm healthy. Like you mentioned, your flu weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if it's just because it's a zombie apocalypse or whatever, but I seem to only catch that when... I only stop to watch it when I'm like really, really, really sick and hating the entire world and not really caring if it burns. Yeah. So <laughs> that's well, when I watch it, and I've just been too healthy to keep up, keep current on it. <laughs> don't let me let me tell you right now. Don't watch this season until you feel like watching a whole bunch of people constantly castrated and humiliated over and over again for your amusement. Well, you know, I I feel like uh, that's that's some, that's that's kind of just hanging out with friends with me. Well, right? there you go. You might be able to sit through this better because my wife literally looked at me last night. and She goes, "If this whole fucking season's like this, I'm calling it quits." And I'm like, "This is the lady who's stuck in through everything," and she's like, "Now just the the punishment of the main characters has gotten to her." I'm just like, "Yeah, wow. yeah." No, I, I I get that. I really do. Um, there's something online. I don't remember which publication did this, but they had a uh, a Walking Dead Quitters Club, and they're like, "Oh, we gotta quit it, we gotta quit it." And each episode, they would be like, "What's the percentage of likelihood of quitting after this episode?" Um, but honestly, I and I've seen enough clips, and I've been reading up, and I'm, I mean, I'm current. I know what's happening. Yeah. Well, and you're a comic guy. You probably had some sense of where it was going, anyway. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm current on the comics, but not on the TV show. Uh, and so, like. And already in the comics, we're we're starting to see, and I this is this is my prediction, and you can take it to the bank, geekish cast listeners, that uh, <laughs> I think that eventually Negan is going to become part of the regular cast and part of the, the quote unquote gang. I know that sounds weird after he's just like done all this horrible stuff, but I think he's just too big of a character and too interesting for people to want to give up on him. Um, and so I think he, we're going to see him like uh, like Venom or. Or one of those other characters where it's like, or, or the Punisher, where it's like, oh, he's a bad guy, but this is just too fascinating for everybody yeah. to want to leave him on the sidelines or have him killed off. Ant- do anti-hero him. him out a bit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I, I could think, consider you know, that as a real, a very real likelihood. I mean, because at this point, all the other characters, I mean, the regular characters, they're all so just like miserable all the time, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. They're, they're, they're hard to watch because of some of that. Um, well, he's let me, bashing let, people's heads, but he's having fun, yeah. you know. Well, that's, at least he likes what he does. What do they call him? <laughs> Aff- affably evil, I believe, is the term for somebody like that. Yeah, yeah. So, is there a property or or a style of book? Either I don't know if it's a character or a genre that you haven't tackled yet that you're really looking forward to or really want to do before you you throw away your pen. Boy, I don't, I don't know. There's, there's all kinds of, you know, I, I have like ideas for, for like, you know, superhero stuff, like some of your kinds of, uh, traditional kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I would really like to, to get into that, but it's really hard to get into superhero stuff without it becoming sort of like just, uh, you know, like, like cheesy, unless you're actually writing for the characters. Well, I was going to say, and do, does anybody really want to see a, an original superhero character? I don't, I don't know that that market exists either. Oh yeah, no, yeah. not in the, not in the indie market, and yeah. uh, uh, but I feel like I've got a, a fresh enough twist on this. This is an, I, this is actually one of the first things 
that I wrote, and I'm still holding by that eventually this will come to fruition. Uh, it was a, a story that I wrote about a freelance henchman who um, uh, kept his identity, you know, his job secret from his family, but then uh, a bunch of supervillain hirelings came to kill him one day, and so he's got to figure out who's behind the hit, and he's got to dodge the cops, he's got to dodge the supervillains and the superheroes, and you know, um, figure out who put the bounty on his head of him and his family, and uh, it's you know just I'm, but making all these references to uh, all the classic fanboy culture stuff, and he comes from a family of supervillains, but he tried to get out of the family business and got pulled back in. So there's like a whole legacy of you know golden age and silver age stuff dating back to his grandfather of uh, them being you know like Mr. Freeze style uh, supervillains, right? And uh, and I feel like that's that's got that's like maybe a way into the world that you don't need to necessarily have. Oh, here's another teenage superhero who discovers superpowers, and it's kind of like going through puberty and oh, blah blah. There, there's one that hasn't been done before, or or they have to hide it, so it's kind of like them being gay because that's never been done before either. Right, right, yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah, that's the yeah. whole. This whole season of Supergirl is that story. <laughs> oh man, yeah. And, and don't get, I'm not saying that as a negative. I mean, I love it, but guys, we need some new allegories for superheroes. Right, right, right. Or just something else that's kind of interesting going on. Um, yeah. Like, that's one of the things that, I mean, you know, and I'll admit, I'm a full on fanboy. I mean, I'm sitting in, I'm literally sitting in my basement right now, and there's a bunch of superhero stuff around here. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, I love superheroes, but, but part of me is like, you know, can we take them and do something? different, dramatic, interesting in a, in a new light. Um, like at these Comic-Cons, you know, people come up and I'll, I'll be like, what kinds of stories do you like? Or what kinds of, you know, comics do you read or whatever? And then they just say like, Marvel, DC, and I'm like, you know, those are technically not genres, but, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and I, I get it. I read Marvel and DC, sure. Yeah. But uh, I, I really like when there's somebody who's open-minded enough to be like, well, I'm going to take a chance on this. And even though I might like superheroes, maybe I can give it a whirl. Because to me, uh, the the monster characters that I've got in these comics are sort of the ultimate superheroes. Because um, I feel like that's something that your average comic fan can relate to, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Here's your outsider that has something special and unique about them that people view in a negative way uh, that can actually be an asset to them. Whereas, I mean, who are superheroes? Superheroes are really all sort of like your jocks and your models and your cheerleader types. Um, whereas I feel like monsters probably, again, stereotyping, but if you're talking about your, you know, your average comic book reader uh, who's like a, a lifelong fan, it tends to be people who would identify maybe more with a monster than with, uh, you know, your Superman type characters. No, I think you're onto something there. Um Greg, not that I'm up against an actual clock or anything, but I'm kind of running long on time today. But let me let me put this out there. When there's something that comes up, I would like to be able to invite you back on. Or if you got something coming up, I'd like you to ask to come back on so we can do this again. I'm having a hell of a time talking to you. Absolutely. And, and forgive me for being chatty. I go off. No, and, no, no, no. It's quite all right. Uh, my favorite guests are all people that can do that. Um it's something I enjoy, and like I said, I try not to do a show where it's just me yakking at somebody for an hour, because it works better that way. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to me yakking. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, let me ask you this. Where can people find you and your work on the interwebs if they want to check out more? Oh, yes. Uh, so, like I said, uh, you can get the books at sourcepointpress.com. Uh, I'm on Twitter at 
with, with my handle is at Greg Henchman, and my name comes up, my regular name, Greg Wright. And on Facebook, it's facebook.com slash Greg Wright Comic Books. And, you know, I love hearing from people. I love seeing people checking out my work. If people post photos, I'll, I'll retweet them, I'll repost them, I'll like them, share them, all that kind of stuff. Um, and uh, that's, that's basic ways that people can get in touch with me. Uh, is through Facebook and Twitter and, you know, shoot me an email, whatever. I love hearing from people and I go to a lot of cons. I go to, uh, you know, cons throughout the year. So I try to post about that on Twitter and Facebook as well. And I'd love for people to stop by, say hi and check out what we're doing here. Uh, thank you everybody for listening to Geekish Cast. Greg, thank you for coming on. Thank you, Jeremy. I appreciate it so much. Yeah. In the meantime, you can catch us at geekishcast.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash geekishcast. I tweet from at the geekishcast. And apparently I drunkenly signed up for Instagram the other night at the same handle at the geekishcast. <laughs> uh, and right now we're going to listen to the band Reign of Zayas play us out. Good night, everybody. Geekish Cast is a V as in Victor production and is part of the Astro Panda Productions Network. You can find us now on SoundCloud and on Blog Talk Radio. Our theme music is taken from the song Out to Get Mine by Reign of Zayas. Check them out at reignofzayas.net.